Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 377. Um, one is never settle. Once you stop changing and evolving, you begin to disappear from people's level of importance. Two is do what you love um, and be passionate about it because if you don't, it's way too much work. Three, don't count the hours that you work, but uh, make sure you have time to be out of work. You know, surround yourself by people that are excited about what you're doing together and not just like what you are doing, but what is a collaborative process to do together. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Toast is a simple restaurant platform only for restaurants that connects the POS system to online ordering, gift cards, loyalty, labor, sales reporting. You get the picture. This sucker is all in one. And recently, Toast received $101 million worth of investment, and they're celebrating by giving away $2 million worth of hardware to new customers who sign up with Toast by the end of September or until supplies last. To get your free hardware, head over to pos.toastab.com slash unstoppable 2017 or click the banner in the show notes. You have to use my links. Have you heard of Watsi, aka the Work Opportunity Tax Credit? Well, Hire Me is a platform that connects amazing employers with amazing hourly workers, and it can hook you up with some Watsi. To learn more, head over to restaurantunstoppable.hireme.com. That's Hire Me, H-I-G-H-E-R-M-E. And if you contact Hire Me about Watsi services for a limited time, you will get three free months with their featured hiring software. Get on it. We are recording and with excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Kirk Kellaway. Kirk, are you feeling unstoppable today? Feeling unstoppable today. <laughs> yes. And a special thanks to Craig Hartman. Man, Craig just lined it up for me with some great interviews and uh kirk kelloway is a graduate of cornell university where he studied hospitality administration and management and in 2008 he joined the team at 11 madison park as a food runner which led to becoming a dining room manager which led to becoming a service director which eventually led to becoming a general manager and in 2017 11 sorry and in 2017 11 madison park earned the number one spot on the san pellegrino world's 50 best restaurants i'm sure you had something to do with that and then today uh you are the gm at made night so they're keeping you busy over there i can't wait to find out how you got to where you are and what lens you see the world through but first let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us sure i mean like for me i've been i've spent nine years in the same company so the kind of the mantra we all kind of live by and i think it's it's for us for me too is make it nice um and so, you know, you go back in time and the kitchen context of it, make it nice is just like make it nice or do it twice. But in like our context, it's just it's simply there is no option but to make it nice. And so yeah. that's kind of the 
there's only one way to do things and that's perfectly. And so that's kind of the mantra to live by. Dude, that's so sh- short and sweet. And there's something to be said about short and sweet mantras. And you can easily pass that down to the people that come underneath your umbrella that you mentor and you grow and just, is this nice? If you can just leave everything nice. I mean, that's just a simple way to communicate being superb. Yeah. And it's, it's a, such an easy way to, to teach and coach and like, did you make it nice? And then you see somebody like, no, okay, <laughs> and they hold themselves accountable to those kind of standards. It's pretty awesome. I love it, man. Um, so I guess, I mean, where did it all start for you? When did you know that a life of hospitality wasn't just going to be a for now thing, but the rest of your career? Um, well, I think it really started. I was, was like 13. Um, I blew out my knee. Um, and like tore my meniscus and, uh, I had like 12 weeks of being stuck in a leg brace and basically bound to the couch. Uh, and so, um, that time and my age was kind of the beginning of the food network. And in my, my world, my mom's a teacher, my dad works in it. We like the traditional job path was kind of what was in front of you and so all of a sudden seeing that this was a world out there that existed was the most captivating thing i could possibly imagine and now you look back and you kind of laugh and snicker at like you know uh boy meets grill and uh emerald legacy and all those kind of things but they were amazing and impactful and like really meaningful shows and so um you know for me that was kind of where it all started um and uh and i've been fortunate we can unpack this as we go but i've had some really great mentorship over the uh over the years since then and um, really has put um, put me in the place that I am today. So, okay, so you blow out your knee, you're on the couch, you discover this new world and eventually I'm assuming you started working in it, but was did you get that experience before college or pre-college? When, what was the first time yeah. you actually started working? I got my first job in hospitality uh, at 16. I was okay. a dishwasher at a country club. Okay. Um, I arrogantly, as a, a high school kid, walked in and was like, I want to be a line cook <laughs> in a meeting with the chef. And it's like, well, no, but I do have a job. Okay. Would you be willing to take it? And, you know, I, I was like, well, I guess you're right. I don't know anything, so why not? And, um, you know, and that was kind of where it started for me is through high school. I really got the initial love for hospitality and, like, the enthusiasm for it and, um, you know, got a lot from my uh, my chef then so what was it about the industry when you first started working in it that kept you showing up that you were like what did you fall in love with well i mean one there's the energy of the people that work in it i think it's something that's like consistent throughout whether you're in a country club in northeast ohio or you're in the best restaurant in the world there's this like camaraderie that comes with working in a restaurant that you don't at least in my experience i couldn't find any other place and um there's this, just this energy and drive to constantly be pushing yourself both physically, mentally, um, and creatively to like do new and important things that I think really exists in the hospitality space particularly. Okay. So eventually you made the commitment to attend the cult or not culinary, but, uh, hosp- hospitality and administration and management. Uh, talk to us about that experience. Sure. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, what's really unique um, about the hotel school at Cornell versus like some other hospitality programs and um, better or not, it's up to like the odd beholder, I guess. Um, but the range of experiences that people are coming into the program with and the range of goals that people are looking to pursue when they graduate. 
So, you know, for me, I was exposed to people that now work in investment banking and people that work in real estate and finance, people that have started magazines and blogs and podcasts that are professional photographers that like all of this has went through the same program. And our program is pretty awesome because it's, it's, it feels a lot like a trade program in a lot of ways where it's a pretty prescriptive curriculum from the very beginning. Um, and you start out taking a lot of courses, building the foundation of this, this strict curriculum and you get all these different experiences and tastes and preferences that put a really interesting filter on it. Uh, you get to broaden your experience base because of that. Okay. So what did you learn about yourself during that experience? Cause you, you started out, being interested in being a line cook, but then you went to school to study management and now you're front of house. So how did this, how did this, I guess these pivotal moments in these uh, evolution of getting clarity on what you want to do and what lane you belong in, how did that all play out? Sure. I think, well, one is I, when I started at Cornell, all I wanted to do was be, I wanted to be a chef. Okay. It's like, this is the different take to it because I'm learning how to manage versus learning how to cook. Yeah. But I can, I can work in a restaurant. I can work on a line. I can learn how to cook. But this was about like, um, learning how to run a business. Um, and then there again, in the world of exposure, like getting to know the people in the service side of things, there's like, um, a couple amazing professors that we had that really like spoke to that a lot. Um, and getting to understand what the world of beverage is and to understand the really the amazing complexity of like human resource management and like managing a team and building a team and all those kind of like unusual things that you don't think about led me to really appreciate service and hospitality. Um, more for my own career than um than cooking for instance okay so what was it about the the beverage in the service and team building that really resonated with you that really i mean did you think that you were more maybe naturally inclined to these things or did people suggest that maybe you were naturally inclined to these things um, no, and I, I would be it's very clear to say, I definitely don't think I have the best palate in the world either. So like, that's maybe why I'm not a sommelier or something like that. Um, but it's, there's so, it's such a rich, um, kind of topic set where like wine, for instance, is it's culture, it's cuisine, it's, um, agriculture, it's history. It's all these things kind of put into a bottle. Um, and that's just like a really amazing topic to study and to then find out how, how somebody else's beautiful work goes alongside like a, a chef or a restaurant's beautiful work as well as it's a fun way to, again, build a narrative, create a richer story, kind of put the, the whole picture together. Beautiful. So that's, that's really fun. I dig it, man. And, uh, it was 2008, you graduated, correct? And, mm-hmm. uh, you went straight into, uh, working for 11 Madison park. How did you land, that job. I mean, how do you make, how do you go from like college to like one of the best restaurants in the nation? Um, and you know, in 2008, when I joined 11 Madison park, 11 Madison park was in a big transition. Um, Daniel Hume had just started in 2006. Um, we'll shortly thereafter. Um, and it was a restaurant that was going from being like a really great New York grocery to becoming like but would, the goal at that time was to be a four-star restaurant for the New York Times. And so finding out what that meant for us was a really cool process to be in. But when I joined, the staffing was changing. It was can shedding I, the previous. Go ahead. Can I stop you real quick? Um, yeah. Because I'm really interested in the, to know the answer to this. What it, what did getting four stars look like for you then? Because I feel like that that picture, that vision might be helpful. Well, and also when you think about when the four stars happened, it was 2009. 
So if you look at the big picture of the world, that was the well, the bottom of the recession. So we were a fledgling restaurant that was barely surviving. Mm-hmm. There'd be nights where we have our 90-something seat dining room where you'd have 30 guests. Wow. Um, and thinking about like either this has to work and work now or we have to figure out how to undo all of it and get a lot more people to the door at a lower cost. Um, so it was really like in the great scheme of things, a really scary time but a really exciting time. Um, and so when that review came in August of 2009, it was although it was as though our fortunes had changed overnight. And so it was one of those really interesting things is particularly at that time where you're trying to cut every cost and round every corner and all those kind of things to make a business function to be able to pay everybody. Basically, mm-hmm. um, we weren't really a force or a restaurant until after the review came out where we could have enough resources to invest in having enough staff, having enough things, buying um, you know, building the menu out larger and all these kind of different versions of the reality of it because we just couldn't afford to do it. So it was a matter of like on just passion, heart and drive, we achieve four stars. Beautiful. Uh, so, okay. Continue with your line, your story. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, when I joined, they were kind of going through a big influx on the staff where, shedding some of the older guard um, that was a previous version of the restaurant. They didn't want to learn new things and become a new restaurant and um, finding that core that could kind of push the restaurant forward. So it was a really exciting time for me to join the team and learn a lot quickly. So um, is it safe ahead. to say that uh, 11 Madison Park was kind of going through a transitional moment when you when you hopped on board? Yeah, and I would say through the seven years that I was day-to-day involved at 11 Madison Park and never stopped going through transitional moments. Um, That's one of, I think, the hallmarks of that particular restaurant that I think is, um, that's almost what keeps it alive, um, is the fact that it's never stagnant. Like right now, it's um, doing the final preparations to reopen um, from a big renovation um, in a couple of weeks. And so that's going to be a whole another side of this. So I I think, you know, EMP is changed in so many ways. That's cool. Um, so when you were coming on, it's that you just mentioned that you were trying to shed some weight. Um, was there an issue with culture at, at some point? Did you guys recognize this? And were you, how do you intentionally shed weight? Like what, what way did you go about doing it? Or was it? In- well, I, I can't, with the role I came into at that time, I can't really speak to how that uh, process true, went. I think it was a matter of, I know that, you know, we, the restaurant went through classes of hiring. So they'd hire like four or five people at a time, um, which was really reinforcing for people that were trying to, you know, make themselves better um, in an environment where it needed to, where the culture needed to shift. Mm -hmm. So you had people to push each other. You had people to, um, you know, rely on and lean on when things weren't going well. Um, You got to build the culture out that way. And I think that was one of the really interesting things that happened was, you know, three or four times in the course of like six months, there'd be classes of anywhere from four to six people hired that all started within like a two week period. Um, and to see how those people, you know, obviously whittled down to a lesser number each every few months until it was like a, like the core of the team, but, um, how those people like influence the restaurant as a group. That's cool. Okay. So, uh, let's go back to you. Sorry. I kind of got you off track. No, uh, you came on as a food runner. Talk to us about how mm-hmm. you, you grew and the things that you think contributed to your opportunities and growing within this company. Um, I think there's some really awesome things about this company that it rewards ambition. Um, so a few months into my tenure at 11 Madison park, um, I was 
dumb enough, brave enough, whatever the case may be, to go to our general manager, Will, who's my boss now. He owns 11 Madison Park in the Nomad with Daniel Hume, um, and made nice for that matter, um, and say that we were working on pushing all these different programs forward, our coffee program, making it better, our tea program, making it better, our bar program was amazing. It's like, our beer program, it's great, but it could be better. I want to take over the beer program. Okay. And to have... Um, to have the uh, the general manager of the restaurant be like, this is a really weird request, but sure. Wait, so when you were a food runner, you asked to take over the beer program? Uh-huh. That's awesome. I mean, okay, what's the lesson in that? I think, you know, it's, this is one of those things where um, we talk about, I'll talk about mentorship a lot with people that are looking to kind of grow in the industry, and I think it's um, a really important thing. And mentorship's a two-way street. Um, nobody just gets a mentor. Um, and so I had engaged with Will and a couple other great managers that were at the restaurant at the time and was like, our wine director at the time was amazing and talented and was always like pushing us forward to learn and know more. And beer had always been like just a, a fun area of interest for me and something we got to dig into a lot of Cornell too. Um, and you know, it, it was one of those opportunities. It's not a big program. It's not a lot of money doesn't sell a lot so the the risk for emp is light but for um for me as a person to be able to grow in this context and get a lot of feedback and like learn the impacts of a program on a restaurant as a whole um through the eyes of will and you know the other managers at the time it was really amazing yeah and there's just something to be said and i have to point it out just the the power of taking initiative and being proactive and people wonder why nothing progresses in their lives. Well, what are you doing? Are you taking initiative? Are you being proactive? Are you creating opportunity for yourself? Like you created that opportunity for yourself. You, you found a way to stand out and to show your value. And there's something to be said about that, especially as a food runner, like who would normally would speak up at 11 Madison park. You're, you know, like, like it's, there's something to be said about having that gumption to, to step up and to take on more. Uh, and I mean, you, you create your own opportunities. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah. And I would say though, that the opportunities can only be created in certain environments. And I think that yeah. that's, I was maybe fortunate enough to be bold enough to make the request. And I was in an environment where I felt comfortable doing that, yeah. where dialogue and collaboration were hallmarks of how we did every step of service, every way of teaching, every yeah. way of guiding people. So it's, it's it, again, it's a two way street. I can't yeah. like, which kind of, I, I won't wear that medal myself, <laughs> which you know comes I mean? back to what you said earlier, rewarding that ambition. I guess if you're listening to this right now and you're a restaurant owner, are you rewarding ambition? Are you creating a culture where people feel like they can speak up and take initiative? Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, you know, I, I, right now, Made Nice is, it's an amazing restaurant. I love it. Um, and it's like such the perfect home for me. Um, because when we, we look in the world, like, Love Madison Park is the best restaurant in the world. And people go there, we serve like 100, 120 meals a day. And the majority of people are there once in their entire life. Made Nice, it's a fast casual restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, we're counter service, we're fast, and you can get in and out the door for as, for less than $12 mm. um, and have like a full delicious meal. Um, and so for me to be able to bring who we are as a company and the focus we have on cuisine and quality and passion and hospitality and all those kind of things to a larger audience to be able to be in somebody's life five days a week, some people twice a day, all these kind of things, It's that's really inspiring. And to be able mm. to kind of grow the industry from the bottom up um, with the least skilled in so many cases, uh, employees and get them to be inspired and to learn more about 
the restaurant industry as a whole is that's that's what it's all about for me. Um, and so, again, you you look at like the context of then that labor pool. You know, it's it's the entry level. It's, it's novices in so many ways. And to be able to create an environment where people feel comfortable saying, "I think we could do X this way, and it would be better," is really hard. Um, and you're going to get a lot of not great ideas, or you're going to get a lot of ideas that, at least on their face, don't seem awesome. Um, but to be able to engage with somebody and to make it feel like what they've suggested to you is a is a good idea and warrants talking about and learning more about it, understanding the motivations around it and why it exists, and to invest the minutes in that person on the team is, I think, how you get people to to believe. It's how I got to feel comfortable making suggestions and how you know you get people to feel like they are owners in the restaurant even if they work 20 hours a week beautiful i love it and i kind of want to kind of come back to something you mentioned earlier which was that idea of um mentoring is a two-way street and what did you mean by that well i think it's a lot of people look for mentors they expect to be able to like have somebody just take them under their wing Mm -hmm. you've got to pursue it as as a person as an employee um you know i that job i had in high school um, the chef then was just, you know, he gave me a chance, but I put the work in, I kept my head down. I worked hard. I worked in the dish station and I made sure that the dish station was cleaner than anybody else left it. And then when I got caught up on work, I wouldn't watch the plating line happen for banquets and like these little things that, you know, nobody's going to give it to you if you don't go get it yourself mm. and you're not hurting your own performance by doing so. Awesome. Um, okay, so let's continue on the progression of your career. You started as the food runner. You were eventually promoted to a manager and mm-hmm. service director. So uh, take us through that journey. Um, I mean, I'm trying to. I want to. I want to follow your career, and I also want to pull out nuggets along the way. So I guess just let it. Just take it. I guess, and I'll see if there's anything sure. that comes up. Um, so, like, kind of beginning of. Um I guess it kind of starts like Craig Hartman going back to that. I, um, I started in his kitchens at Cornell cause he was the chef of, um, the Statler hotel, which is our hotel on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a banquet cook then. Um, and I worked Sunday brunch, which why as a college kid, I'd never want to wake up early on a Sunday and do <laughs> brunch. I'll never, I'll never understand. Um, but we did, I did that. And, um, I worked through that role, moved into our restaurant, worked on the line there. Um, we had some programs where students got to become leaders and managers and those kind of things. And um, through that kind of, I ended up having nights of running um, our restaurant service from the kitchen side of things um, several nights a week, um, which is a really cool experience. And again, having great people around me made that possible. Um, then when I graduated, I joined 11 Madison Park as a food runner. Um, and that's kind of time of transition, as I mentioned before. I spent about two weeks as a food runner. Um, whereas, you know, now if somebody starts out as a food runner, they'll spend almost a year in oh, that wow. role. Um, so that's kind of a, again, the influx period of the restaurant then. Um, then we moved into the role of assistant server, which is uh, back waiter, you know, don't spill water on the table kind of thing. Okay. Um, clear it, crumb it. Um, then became a server. Um, our 11 minutes of work is built on like a four person team where there's a captain, a sommelier, a server, and an assistant server. Um, and so the server is kind of the, the role of maintaining logistics of the station where entering orders, uh, marking wine glasses, silverware, the, those kind of things, um, able to fill in roles for psalms and for captains and for assistant servers, but is really just made 
is there to make sure everything's happening perfectly. Um, a little bit of a jack of all trades kind of role. Then I was a captain for about a year and a half, um, which was a really enlightening experience because um, getting to know people over the course of a three, four, five hour meal and you know, making learning how to make it special every time, even if you've got 14 tables a night um, and doing it five, six nights a week. It, it, it's a really that's a that's a tough experience. Let's uh, let's spend some time here. Um, I feel yeah. like there's a, a, some lessons you can drop on us on learning how to make it special. Uh, but first, I want to make sure when you I understand when you said you're a captain, does that mean that you are in charge of a four person team? Mm-hmm. That's okay. that's kind of the, the model of that. Yeah. So how many how many tables would one four person team have? I'm curious. Uh, seven is generally what those stations were. Uh, again, they're going through a renovation right now. I don't know where it's going to end up now, yeah. but um, yeah, it would be seven tables, and okay. so you you'd be sat from five thirty until ten thirty and uh, turntables and all this kind of thing. So you see a lot of faces. Beautiful. Okay, so you had this four person team, and you just mentioned that you learned a lot about just creating these experiences and that. That int- the intimacy that goes into a four to five hour meal. So how did you create those experiences? Talk to us about what you learned in regard to that. Sure. I think well, the most important thing is to, to establish trust okay. initially. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people have been to a restaurant where service has been mediocre, not caring and whatever else, and you, mistakes happen and things go wrong. You then end up with an ability to not trust the restaurant service that you ever get. And I think that that's um, being able to disarm that that situation is really important um, in a lot of ways. So, how do you establish trust? What's a good way to do that? I think it, it depends on the person. Um, for a lot of people, it's a matter of giving them the opportunity to feel you as human. Um, fine dining restaurants often get this rap of being rote and stoic and serious and unfun and whatever the case may be. So letting them know that you're human and that you're there solely to make people happy um, is really an important thing to do. Um, I think how you do that depends on your guests. You know, if you've got uh, the table from Northeast Ohio, I'll use this example because I'm from Northeast Ohio, who's uh, on their second trip ever to New York city and they've never dined in a tasty menu restaurant before. It's terrifying. I can imagine. <laughs> and so to be able to work um, with the guests in that regard, to be like, listen, this is brand new, but I'm here for you. You're going to ask all the questions. I'm going to give you all the answers. We're going to go through everything line by line, bit by bit, and we're going to make you feel great. Um, and then you've also got the other side of it where it's like you've got the New Yorker couple that's, you know, four-star dining is the thing they do once a month. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, they know how this experience is going to go. And so in those cases, it's almost a a version of proud humility Mm -hmm. where you need to be like, okay, you've got your vision. I want to work with that vision, but I want to make sure that you see the things that we do that are special. That's cool. So I'm going to, I'm going to play in your, your sandbox a little bit, but we'll bring some of my own toys. So it sounds like, uh, the the first part of this creating that incredible experience in, in this, this team that you're in is, you know, establishing the trust, also reading the table, making sure that you're adapting to whatever situation uh, may be in front of you. And what else, what, what else is the next step into creating this experience? Listening, um, you know, being dynamic and changing what you do on, on a moment by moment basis. 
Um, and you know, I think one of the things that makes a great manager makes a great service captain of a fine dining restaurant, your ability to read people, connect mm. with people, mm-hmm. um, and know when emotions change or when there's uh, an opportunity to cut in or get a word in edgewise or change the topic of conversation or, um, you know, all those kind of things. It's, you're really just like, you're, you're in so many ways, you're motivating the guests to enjoy themselves. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, anything else you want to speak to regarding this idea of like the, the intimacy that went into uh, creating these experiences as that coach or as that captain? Um, no, I, I think the most important takeaway is just to, to be real, be human, to listen and to not mm-hmm. treat it like a transaction. Oh, um, yes. I think that's, that's an important awesome. little, little message in there. All right, cool. So let's let's continue along this progression of your career at Eleven Madison. Um, what came after uh, being a service coach? Uh, then that was when I became a diner manager, and okay. so that's an interesting experience because you go from being alongside your peers to managing your peers, um, which is always a that's a that's probably the hardest transition I think you could make in any work environment. Okay. Um, and so from there, then I became service director. Um, and then do you want to yeah. dive into that uh, transition? Like how was, take us through that transition of being somebody who was working along their peers to, you know, managing people. So what was hard for you in that transition? There's a couple things. One is, um, you know, you, the ability to have a beer after work becomes a very different situation because mm-hmm. your, your water cooler recap is, is different when you're uh, you're on the other side of the line, if you will. Um, where instead of like being able to complain about guests in the same context or whatever the case may be, um, as a manager, people are looking to you to set the tone. Um, and so, you know, always making sure that you've got the restaurant's best um, interest in mind with what you're saying, what you're doing, and how you're doing things is a really important transition um, because whenever you're with the staff or your colleagues or the case may be you're on the clock. It's very different than like when you're awake captain, you take your suit off, you put your jeans and a t-shirt on, you're no longer awake captain. Yeah. Um, that that's a big change. Um, and I think one of the most important things that, um, I was guided to do in the world of great mentorship, having good advice, um, was to work harder than everybody else because had anybody who's ever had a, shitty manager i forgive my language um but just like you feel like they just like stand around and glad hand a couple of tables but they mostly do nothing those are the last people you want to confide in you want to ask for help from you want to get advice from so if your team knows that you're in the trenches with them and you're you're slogging it out with them you're polishing glasses faster than the new kitchen server you're making sure that the table's clear or you're pulling the chair out because you're the first person to see the guests get up um, all those kind of things that sets the tone, sets the standard and, you know, makes it very clear that all of these things are important. That's, that's the biggest yeah. um, key. So when you made that transition to dining room manager, would you say you had to step it up? Do you feel almost like an obligation to step it up, to be sure that you were the person that was bringing it the hardest in that room? Yeah, for sure. You had to be, you had to be better than, um, you had to be better than everybody else. And, and, and in that context too, it's in roles that you've never done before. And then on top of that, you also have to be the one who's got, uh, X or all like three other different responsibilities that have zero to do with service. 
um, that you're doing right at that moment, mm-hmm. but you can't, you know, let that show. What was the biggest challenge for you during that transition? Um, you know, because the people that work in restaurants are human, they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. So to go from somebody who's like to, to correct a best friend, um, is a really interesting thing to do um, <laughs> yeah. and to hold somebody accountable to the mistakes that, um, you could poke out, point out jokingly when you're like alongside somebody, but when you have to like actually seriously deal with when you're a manager is a, that is certainly the hardest thing to do. So how do you correct a best friend? It's, you know, uh, there's great, um, one minute manager is such a good book in this context. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you practice those good practices, no matter what, it's going to work well, um, to a point, but you've got to make sure that the message gets out there. It's very easy to, with a friend fall into the trap of conviviality and like comfort and to have it be, um, you know, not serious or to try and bend the rules to make it seem not such a big deal or that like you're, you're our friends or whatever the case may be. It's really important that, Particularly, it's almost more important when you're in those situations where it is like a best friend, whatever the case may be, that you're even more disciplined and unemotional and, you know, to the letter of the law and by the book. And you make clear that a conversation ends at a certain point and that you like leave the room and then you can go back to being normal human beings. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, is there like a, a, a mentality that you have if, if that if you have to approach a friend and correct them, um, what conversation do you have with yourself to kind of, I guess, help you validate the conversation you're about to have? Does that make sense? <laughs> do, do yeah. I, okay. No, I mean, like, I think um, I joked with my, my chef that I work with um, that my job is anymore just writing meeting agendas, um, which is, it, it's, it's not that it's like, that's like making a world of to-do lists and making sure you're holding everybody accountable, to but it all comes out in media agendas. Um, anyhow, um, the same thing holds true though with like a conversation to correct somebody. You can't go in blind. You can't go in cold. You've got to know exactly what you're going to say, how you're going to say it. Um, know that if somebody wants to try to get it off topic, how you bring it back to the point of the conversation. Um, and it's, you know, in those kind of situations where you're brand new to it, it's doubly important to focus on, all of those basics than it is um, any other time, but and also it never really loses its importance to to do all those things. But when you're doing it for the first time, when you're doing it with people that are looking at you with a skeptical eye, not because they want you to fail, but because you're like, oh, the new guy, um, you've got to make sure you're perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so at this point, we're talking about you. You're you're being at this point, you're a dining room manager. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything else you want to speak to in regards to that role as a dining room manager before we kind of talk about the transition you had to service director? Um, hmm. it's the world of middle management is interesting. Um, and finding finding that fit is always a a nebulous reality because it changes constantly. Um, some days you need to fill in and be a captain. Some days you need to fill in and be a somp. Some days you need to be, you can't do anything. You just need to let a team try and succeed and survive on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and to know how to navigate that is, it's really hard and it's never going to be perfect, but I think it's, um, always be looking for a feedback loop because just because you've made it to the role of management, you're not, there's still so much to learn. Mm. Um, how do you set up that feedback? Look, that's a good point. Like how do you open yourself up to being, I guess, letting it be known that you're open to feedback? 
I think, um, I mean, just tell people, mm. I think that's one is that's, yeah. that's so important, I think. And, you know, um, I remember we would, we divided the dining room at Lemon Mass Park. We'd have more than one dining room manager on any given time. And so I would, you know, in my early days of being a manager, I'd be like, okay, these are my teams. We'll team huddle before we start service. Here's what I think is going to happen. Here's how we're going to do this. These are the problems I think are going to happen. This is, these are the things we're really excited about. These are the cool people that are going into our stations. Um, help me make sure that I'm helping you um, and, you know, grab me when you need something or, you know, get my attention or tell me when you think I've done something that was a little not exactly what you needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's being vulnerable with your team is really important, I think. Mm-hmm. So aside from coming out and saying like, I like letting people know that they can communicate with you. What other uh, less direct things do you think we can do to let people know that we have their back? Hmm. I think, well, one is just, it's living it. It's doing it. Um, two, it's, you know, when you do need to give people feedback or advice or guide somebody through something that you're doing in a way that is reinforcing versus tearing down, mm. um, get in that world of, like that one minute manager thing, like you can't end constructive feedback at just the constructive. You've got to say why it's important and what mm-hmm. it means and how, how it's going to make them better. Um, and one of the, one of the, I don't know, one of the things that I found always so like powerful is to point out your own mistakes when you make them. Mm-hmm. Because when people feel, when you're a manager, people don't necessarily feel comfortable pointing them out for you. Um, but if you can say like, I did that wrong or like you cleared a table with a, a kitchen server and you left a fork behind and you had to come back around and get it and point out like that, that happened and that you can't let it happen again. And you tell the kitchen server, we're not going to let that happen again. Make sure I don't do that again. Um, it's, they know that it's important, but they also know that you're, you know, when you go to hold them accountable, you're going to be human with them too. Yeah. You know, and it, it yeah. And there's another level of just developing trust and rapport when you, admit your fault and you to show that you're human too it makes you way more approachable and uh to to call yourself up you know to call yourself out on those things it shows everyone else that you're holding yourself to those same standards and you know i think that's really cool so what was the transition like uh from becoming a dining room manager to becoming a service director i guess what are the two what's the difference between those two roles well one part is like the administrative and the project side of it is um you know we launch a new course. How are we serving it? How are we describing it? How are we carrying it to the table and away from the table and all those kind of things? It's the nuts and bolts of service. Okay. Um, but this is also, um, an organization where you start to manage managers. Um, and so making the transition a little bit away from like the the basic, the day to day with like the hourly employees and to try and direct managers into that role and to do the things that reinforces them being in the trenches alongside the the rest of the team at large without creating a ton of separation between you and the staff. So it's um you know it's a little bit of a delicate balance. Um and some of the things they like you know when you've done it a bunch of times you know that somebody has a habit of like not tying their tie perfectly. Um these are the silly things you worry about. You point out to the manager, you hold the manager accountable to the fact that the person's ties not tied appropriately and then they start to manage the process more effectively mm. and they see it better. Okay. So it sounds like a big part of a big secret to managing managers is knowing your role 
in knowing their role and not necessarily crossing those lines and like yeah, empowering them to, to do, to, to, you know, bring them up to the standard. I guess I'm not using the best word. Yeah. No, I think that that's a great summation though. And it's, that's probably one of the hardest things. That's a very challenging thing to do is to, to not want to interject yourself right then and there in the situation, but to try and allow the reality of a situation to become a teaching moment. Um, Cause, and sometimes it's not the right thing to do. Sometimes you need to act faster than to um, get somebody else involved in the middle to help them grow as a person. You just need to deal with the service issue at hand, um, you know, rather than doing it the hard way where you put somebody in front of it and mm-hmm. there's mistakes on either side of it. Cool. I mean, you've been giving us some great nuggets up to this point. I want to make sure we leave time to talk about your transition um, from general manager over to uh, general manager of made nice. Um, well, first let me ask why, why did 11 Madison park, this restaurant, uh, that's so well known for fine dining decide to enter into the fast casual market? Um, we did it because we want to be a bigger part of people's lives, um, and to be able to reach a broader audience. So I mentioned before that like 11 Madison park is like hundred, 120 people a day, once a lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of regulars there, but not very many. Um, and it, you know, it costs a lot. The menu is $295 before drink tax, wow. et cetera. Um, tips included. Um, but it's, it's an undertaking and you can't necessarily get that many people to experience it. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's, we believe really strongly in what we do as a restaurant and how we, or how, as a company, um, what we do with culture, what we do with food, what we do with cuisine, what we do with design, all these kind of things that it's, um, that, um, made nice was almost an obvious, um, for us to, to be able to bring all that to people at an affordable price point and an accessible style of service. Was it kind of a, a proactive move, uh, looking at the market, looking at the industry, uh, fine dining, definitely starting to, in the broader sense, have less of a, I guess, presence in the marketplace and seeing that there is a, this trend towards, high quality food in a fast paced environment, grab and go. Were you just trying, was there like a strategic business move to kind of enter into that sector? You know, not really. Um, we, our restaurants are all within like a five block radius. Um, love Madison parks on 24th street, the nomad, which came seconds on 28th street and then made nice is right next door to the nomad on 28th street. Um, so it was about, you know, really loving our neighborhood, investing in our neighborhood and, you know, owning who we are, but in a more casual context mm-hmm. and an accessible style. Okay. What's what from you, for you, how has it been different transitioning out of that super fine dining environment to a more casual, relaxed, uh, environment? Like, do you treat it any differently or what's that been like? No, you know, I, I don't. And I was, you know, we had, um, we had somebody in the industry who's been doing fast casual for a while, um, say, you know, your, your employee base is different in this environment than it is at Little Medicine Park. And that's true. Um, but you shouldn't treat them any differently. You treat them the same way you're going to get the same results. Um, so in some ways, like we, are a little bit more prescriptive and things are a little bit more refined and step by step. There's less gray area than we'd have over the course of a five hour meal. There's a little bit more like structure to the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we still make sure that the team at large here at made nice knows that what we do is important. 
that they're not just clocking in, filling a roll. Um, and that every detail matters and that making it nice matters. Um, and so all those little things really, I think speak to the, the team as a whole. Um, yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, you've been with the company. I see you graduated to almost 10 years. You've been yeah, uh, with 11 Madison ridiculous. <laughs> and I mean, it's, you know, it's, it has such a presence within our industry. People know the name and what do you think it is? What have you learned? If you could summarize what you've learned, uh, being a part of this great restaurant group, uh, it's, now that it's two restaurants, I guess, is, would it be a group? Do you guys consider yourself a group? I guess so. I think, <laughs> you know, we, we, we're, we're a company, you know, then the Nomad is growing also. Yeah, the, the there's too. a property opening in LA that's um, coming online in the next uh, month or so. So, um, so it's, a, it's definitely a growing company. We, uh, we've tried to kind of silo who we are in so many ways. So it's like 11 Madison park is unique and special and it gets mm-hmm. different attention and treatment. The nomad, um, has a leadership structure in place that is the nomad. Um, while there are cultural ties and cuisine roots and ownership base, that's the same. It's its own unique thing. And so that's also how we're kind of approaching made nice is, um, establishing itself in a context in an environment, but as its own, kind of creature. Mm-hmm. So you spent almost 10 years a part of this rest, these restaurants, uh, the, the, these, this family of restaurants. What do you know to be true from your perspective about their success, what they do, the culture, uh, anything that you feel like we need to just discuss in the next like five to 10 minutes before we go to the speed round. Um, one is never settle. Um, once you stop changing and evolving, you begin to disappear from people's level of importance. Um, two is do what you love, um, and be passionate about it because if you don't, it's way too much work. Um, three, don't count the hours that you work, but, uh, make sure you have time to be out of work. Um, and, you know, surround yourself by people that are excited about what you're doing together and not just like what you are doing, but what is a collaborative process to do together. Mm. Why is the collaborative process so important? You can't really believe in something that you're doing the work you're doing unless you feel like you're a part of it. And you can't really feel like you're a part of it if you can't feel and know your impact on it. Mm. Huge. Awesome, man. Um, I can't believe we're already at the time to go to the break for the speed round. But uh, I guess before we go, let me ask you this question. Um, is there a time you failed hard? And can you yeah. take us, take us through that failure? Cause I feel like those failures are, there's just as much to be learned through our failures than there is in our successes. So what was the time you failed? Oh, uh, I mean, you try and block these out. No, <laughs> um, when have there's there's a ton i think um you know there's little failures every day um and you got to like focus on those and correct for them and you know make sure they don't happen again um big failures uh i think you know one of the things is um as service director one of the big responsibilities i had was um staffing and hiring um and it's a really easy thing to do to hire by the numbers. And by that, I mean filling shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, I can very confidently say that there are a few gross examples of failure um, 
in that responsibility that focus just on filling the numbers versus on making the restaurant the best place ever um, and finding people that belonged in the culture and that would contribute to the culture. Um, and those are hard mistakes to correct for. So you had a failure where you kind of were just kind of looking to, to fill the roles. You weren't really paying attention to who you're hiring, but more so that you had the roles filled. What happened? What was there a series where you had people that just weren't right for your restaurant? Yeah. And it was, thankfully it was always like a one or one person at a time. There were never a string of people. Um, at least I don't think so. Um, and so, you know, it's when you realize you're thinking tactically, not strategically about things like that. And human capital is a really important thing. Um, we don't approach any employee as like disposable. So it, it's a commitment once somebody's hired and they're a part of the family. Um, and so that's, that's a hard one to correct for. Like I said, it's, and you know, you try and train and teach people out of bad habits, but certain people just don't have it, don't belong. Um, and getting people to know that that's the case, um, for themselves, that this isn't the best fit is a really hard thing to do. Yeah. So two things, what things have you done differently to protect yourself from making that mistake again? Um, I, you know, we make clear here, made nice that there's going to be times where we're understaffed. Mm-hmm. Um, because we want to make sure that we don't make um, staffing errors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, recently we brought somebody on that just on paper, on interview seemed great. But through training, it was just not going to work. And we pulled the plug right away because it was the right thing to do for, for this candidate um, and for us. Um, and they appreciated that reality and that honesty and that forthrightness. And, you know, the team, because they were part of the training and the process and they saw the challenges that they were facing, they knew that they'll take two more weeks of being a little tight staffed in order to have the, the right team in place. Mm-hmm. So that brings me to my next question. When you do have to let somebody go, um, what approach do you take to doing that in a way that is best for everyone? Well, I think, you know, it's, you've got to help if somebody's, I believe that if somebody's on your team, you have to give them a chance to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think constructive feedback is just that it's meant to be constructive and to grow from, mm-hmm. um, there are people that won't and they'll continue to make similar mistakes or the same mistakes or just not be right mm-hmm. um, for an organization. So being clear and honest and constantly communicative about that is super important. Um, don't avoid conflict. Don't amplify conflict by any stretch of the imagination, but don't ever avoid it. Um, I think that's that's really important. Don't be scared to have hard conversations. Um, and it makes it so much easier that when the time comes to just say the reality of the situation, it's not that they know it's coming because they've been like, you've, they've, you've been circling like a shark around a bleeding fish or something like that, but um, rather they understand that you've given them everything that you can and that it's just not, it's just not going to work. Awesome. We're going to take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Ever since episode number one, Restaurant Unstoppable has been tracking the most recommended technologies from our past guest mentors and Toast is at the top of that list. With Toast, you get online ordering, gift cards, loyalty, labor, sales reporting, ELO, kitchen-grade monitors, and handheld tablets to empower your staff. That's right. No more traffic jams at the POS system. Toast customers have experienced a 20% increase in revenue via improved throughout 
3x increase in tips from digital signatures and a 50% increase in online ordering after switching to the Toast platform. Recently, Toast received $101 million worth of investment and they're celebrating by giving away $2 million worth of hardware to new customers who sign up with Toast before the end of September or until supplies last. To get your free hardware, head over to pos.toasttab.com slash unstoppable 2017 or click the banner in the show notes you need to use my links. Whether you're hiring a line cook, server, host, or manager, hiring is a time-consuming endeavor. However, there is a little-known way to lower your cost per hire. It's called WOTSI, or Work Opportunity Tax Credit. By hiring qualified workers from certain target groups such as veterans, SNAP recipients, and individuals living in empowerment zones, you can potentially receive thousands of dollars in tax returns. Hire Me is all about maximizing employer effort and Watsi is one great way to do just that. If you want to be guided through the Watsi process every step of the way, visit restaurantsunstoppable.hireme.com. That's Hire Me, H-I-G-H-E-R-M-E. And if you contact Hire Me about Watsi services for a limited time offer, you will receive three months of free hiring software. Get on it. We're back. And the first question I have for you, Kirk, is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, I think it's just uh, unapologetic work ethic. Mm, unapologetic work ethic. Dive into that. Well, don't ask my wife about that too much. Um, <laughs> I like I said before uh, earlier, and don't don't count the hours. Um, because it's always going to be too many. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's something important that you believe in, it's worth it. Um, and it's obviously got to be done with some degree of balance for sanity. Mm-hmm. Um, but to do something important and significant and meaningful, it takes a lot mm-hmm. and you got to be willing to put it in. Otherwise it's not going to be meaningful and powerful and significant. Awesome. And what is your biggest weakness? Uh, biggest weakness. Um, I think in so many ways I'm too charitably assuming for people. I believe um, very much in their their want to be good, whether or not it's there. Um, and sometimes you, people get a little more rope than they deserve. So you give the benefit of the doubt too often? Yeah, yes. <laughs> too many times over, perhaps. Okay. Um, and what are you doing to correct for that? You know, a in the spirit of vulnerability, have a forthright environment where my colleagues and my peers and even my managers, technically my subordinate, can can speak comfortably and confidently about their opinions and what their observations are and to take feedback seriously and um, to make decisions together as groups. Beautiful. What is your best advice on leadership? Be human and be vulnerable. Be real with people. What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? I look for people to be just generally good and interesting people. Um, And by that, I mean like one, you get just trusting your instincts a little bit on how a conversation feels and how you feel around somebody, but also, if they don't have anything that they can expound upon and find interesting and engaging in their life, 
or they don't light up at some point during a conversation they hear about the restaurant that you're describing when you're interviewing them, it's not the right thing. Mm. And uh, what's your biggest challenge today over at Made Right? Or sorry, Made Right. Uh, nice. Made nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, biggest challenge today is um, we're five months in. It's a matter of refining the identity and the purpose of the restaurant um, in, in such a way that it's growing. Um, and it is its own unique standalone organization. Um, okay. Uh, and what is one book that's a must read that will make us either better people or better restaurant operators? Uh, I think, well, one minute manager, I think is great, um, because it's so concise and simple and, if you force yourself to practice it as a, as a philosophy guide, um, you will be a good manager. What is the biggest lesson you got from the one minute manager? It's to constantly give feedback, mm -hmm. to be direct and to be honest and to be unemotional. Yeah. I mean, and it reminds me a lot of what uh, Rudy Mick said when he was on the show and that's painting the picture of perfection. Like that's what I got from the one minute manager. You, you need to paint that picture of perfection. You need to give people something to, to aim for. You can't expect them just to know. And it's that constant feedback. It's that, that painting that picture of what perfection looks like uh, can be so valuable. And I'm pretty sure that book's only like an hour long on audio. So if you haven't, it's isn't it something stupid like that it's it's the silliest short read ever yeah. it's like it doesn't the, the book is like 40 pages and yes. it doesn't even fill like normal margins it's like wide <laughs> margins it's like it's like when you're in high school and you're scrambling to finish a paper it's like big font yeah. spaced out wide margins it's one of those ones you got to make time for and i'll have a link to it in the show notes and uh you can get that book for free if you're not already um audio or audible member head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable get that book for free it's worth it and what's one technology you're leveraging that has m had the biggest impact uh on your restaurant recently that you're really excited about um i think because of our style of service um and our background is fine dining restaurants um using a, a kds system a kitchen display system has been really meaningful and impactful because it's so much faster it's so much neater it's so much more concise and clear than printed tickets um, or verbal fires or any of these other kinds of systems to work through um, that we have a more organized, cleaner, quieter kitchen because we've got uh, iPad screens all over our restaurant. Okay. So is Acadia, is that uh, just the KDS, KDS. Yeah, uh, kitchen display system? It's um, and there's a bunch of different versions out there. We use um, a particular POS system here in New York called Solito. Um, it's there's other like people would call it like a bump bar back in the day. Um, those kind of things where, uh, like even like McDonald's when I was a kid would have like the, the green and black computer screen showing the orders. But, um, as the technology's evolved, um, it's a really powerful tool. Um, being able to be searchable and bring things back. And when you're going through a thousand tickets a day or whatever the case may be, like it's a much neater, effective system to work through. Absolutely. And uh, I'm curious, uh, th that display uh, setup, is it is it separate from the POS system or is it working in conjunction with, uh, was it Solito you use? Yeah, Solito is our provider for um, 
they're they're working on building kind of a, a quote unquote full stack restaurant operating system. Um, so they're kind of in advanced beta at this point. Um, but there are POS as far as like um, order taking and payment processing, as well as the POS or the KDS um, solution also, and our backend reporting and stuff like that. I have to talk to you about your website. Um, you have beautiful websites. Mm, thank you. So. I noticed you also went with bento box. So what does bento box do? I mean, there's so many options out there for websites. And I noticed that bento box is like really working with some of the best restaurants out there. What do they do that you think special? Well, one is they get the unique needs of restaurants. Uh, I think what crystal and her team at bento box are doing are awesome. Uh, they're one, they're amazing people Two, They're super passionate and dedicated to what they're doing. And they're always pushing themselves. There's, there's a like-mindedness that we really like about them. Um, and they take feedback and just push and push and push and push. Um, that that's really great that you don't get from like, um, any of the other, like maybe big template website firms out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're really easy to use. Um, once the structure is in place, it's really modifiable and, you know, the service is really good. And, um, you know, we've been really happy with it. We're about to launch a whole nother, um, portion of our website where we have our catering ordering through there too, as they're again, they're like working on their product there. And so it's going to be pretty simple and straightforward, but yeah. as it evolves, we'll get to be able to speak to the process of that too with them. And, you know, just finding like-minded people like that has been awesome. So I've noticed that they're being used in a lot of like the, I guess, premier restaurants across the nation. Do you think there's a reason for that? I mean, is it, are they expensive? Like what, why, or maybe they just got into the, they got their foot in the door at the right restaurant tour and, you know, word of mouth. Like, why do you think that there, there's such a huge presence of bento box websites with such great restaurants across the nation? Well, I think they've won. They've pursued restaurants first and foremost. And, um, I think they've done a really good job of finding people that care about websites and branding mm -hmm. and understand that the restaurant experience far exceeds the four walls of the restaurant. Um, and, they've done a really good job to deliver on that. Um, so I think that that's one of the big things is that they've said that they're restaurant first, um, which a lot of people don't do. And I think they're an incredibly affordable platform for what they're trying to do. Um, I don't remember what the exact rates are because we're also changing our system with like collecting payments and stuff like that, but still super affordable. And I think highly competitive with what else is out there. Um, I think you get a more bespoke product than you get with somebody else. Yeah. I, I shook down uh, your boy, Chris over at Suvla or not Chris Charles over at Suvla too, because, uh, is he using Bento also? Yeah, they are. He is. And I, you know, Bento's not paying me anything to ask these questions. I'm just so curious because I'm seeing them pop up all over the place. I got to trying to get to the bottom of what makes them so great. But, um, all right. With all the knowledge you have now, Kirk, if you go back in time and give the passive version of yourself, one piece of business advice, the best piece of business advice, what would that advice be? Oh, um, don't be married in the idea. Be ready to be dynamic and change and evolve. If you asked me when I was 22 and just graduated college, if I wanted to do fast casual, I would have said, absolutely not. That's a ridiculous idea. Um, and if I could have been a little bit more open-minded at that point, not to say that it didn't work out in the best way possible already, um, I may have been a little bit more open to more experiences that could have come my way. Um, so... Don't be you married don't know. to the idea. Be open-minded is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, is there anything we didn't get to discuss that you're hoping we could spend some time on? And if there is, what was it? What, what could I have asked you? Um, I think the only other thing I would love to just make sure that, um, you know, other leaders in this industry are thinking about is the fact that this is 
this is an industry. This is the driver of our economy as a country so at mm. this point. And like, we should treat it as a profession, as a respectable thing to do. Um, restaurants shouldn't be ships of pirates. They shouldn't be places where people come and go as they see fit. Um, everybody needs to hold themselves to a high standard to treat their employees like professionals and to help them grow and evolve um, and to, you know, look for opportunities to take somebody who maybe didn't belong in the restaurant industry or didn't think they did in the first place and to turn them into restaurant professionals. Um, I would never have done it myself had I not been given some really great examples across my my life experience. And I think that that's really, uh, it's a really important thing for other people to share too. Awesome. I love it. And we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. That's how I discovered you. Our boy Craig Hartman called you out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire and think would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Um, I would, I would want to uh, look at one of the people that I, uh, you know, I followed when I came to love Madison park um, and inspired me to be into beer in the first place. Um, So I would call out Sam lip. He's the managing partner of Union square cafe right now. Um, And he is, one of the most energetic, dynamic, and passionate people I've ever encountered. And I think uh, any high-energy podcast like yours would <laughs> love to spend an hour with him. Sam Lip, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And let the folks at home know, Kirk, if we want to come join your team, if we want to uh, learn under you, what's the best way to connect, whether that be email website or social handles um best way uh well one look for our website made nice nyc.com uh two uh if you're in new york and you think that like you've never thought about counter service as a great way to to work in the industry and to learn it um level of skill or not uh careers at made nice nyc.com reach out to us uh you'll hear from me very quickly um and two yeah um you can always find me um in the restaurant, 8123, uh, or uh, reach out to us through our website. We'd love to, love to hear from you. Beautiful. This is episode 377. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 377. I'll have the links right there for you, as well as a summary of today's conversation right there. And uh, thank you so much, Kirk, for taking the time to join us today, to share your story, to share what you know to be true about this industry. It was truly an honor making an example of you. Hey, thanks. Eric. It was great talking <laughs> to you. Keep, uh, keep finding the good fight and pushing the, all the good stuff out there. I will. There is a no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Cheers. Tons of great advice in today's episode. Kirk. Holloway, man. Thank you so much for joining us and just shedding some light on so many situations in our industry. I think what I want to put emphasis on from today's conversation is that idea of taking 
initiative. I think Kurt's story is a great story of somebody who took initiative and made opportunity for himself. And uh, it came out a little bit when he decided to uh, kind of take control of the beer program. But he did that as a runner, as somebody who was new to a company. And two things. Uh, are you willing to take initiative to get noticed, to go beyond what, I guess, asked of you to, you've got to take that initiative. You got to create those opportunities. You've got to, make people notice you and at the same time if on the flip side if you're a restaurant owner listening to this have you created that culture where people feel like they can take initiative where they can speak up where they can own a project that's on you too and it kind of ties into that whole idea of this is a two-way street uh not just being a mentor i think the conversation was mentoring is a two-way street but being a business owner is a two-way street you've got to give before you get and I think just that idea of this this relationship, this intimacy between owner and employee, between mentor and mentee, uh, it's a give and it's a take both ways. So if you're looking for a mentor, what are you willing to give? And uh, if you're looking for great people, what are you looking to give these great people to join your team? Like, it's a two-way street. Great stuff. And then lastly, that never-ending sense of improving, growing, staying fresh, always challenging yourself is so important if you want to stay relevant in today's 
very extremely competitive industry. Awesome stuff. Guys, like always, please do connect with me if you can think of somebody you would like me to make an example of on the show. Email me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com and know that I'm here to serve you. If there's something you're struggling with, if if there's a challenge in your industry and you're looking for expert advice, I may not know the answer, but I guarantee you I can find somebody with the answer. I'll offer my platform to them. We'll learn together. They'll come on the show. We'll, we'll try to solve your problems, but you got to let me know what your challenges are. I will go to work for you and uh, follow me on social platforms. Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook slash restaurant unstoppable. Keep those five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher radio coming and know that uh, if we want to grow this platform, if we want to get new resources, better content coming your way, the best way you can help me do that is by sharing this resource with everybody and anyone you know who's looking to be great in this industry. Please share this resource with them. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.